Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm the National Bird. And I'm Ken Shanerock. Welcome to episode 252, In Your House 15, A Cold Day in Hell. There's gonna be a whole lot of whoop-ass going on. Ooh, I like whoop-ass. I mean, uh, a cold day in hell. We got both guys represented here, and... The tagline goes to none other than uh, SCSA himself. That's right. So this was the 15th In Your House, produced by the WWF. It would take place on May 11th, 1997, from the Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia, with an attendance of 14,381 people. It's pretty good for an In Your House show. It's a great number, and um, it's in player country. I consider that flair country. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's not too bad. Virginia's, I mean, Carolina's. Yeah. Georgia, I'll, Alabama. I mean, yeah. Basically little, anywhere that's not New York. A little elbow over there. <laughs> yeah. Virginia. Still, yeah, I've never been there. I had to think for a second. I have neither. Whenever I think of Richmond, I have a friend who lives there. I just think of the band of Ale. I'm like, oh yeah, a Ale. From Richmond, there's okay. plenty of other bands from there too, but I, yeah, the first thing I think of is yeah, Avail, and then maybe Ric Flair. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't know. I'm never... <laughs> but we are in Virginia. Yeah, we are. So Shane, did you do what you do? Well, judging by Michael's glass over there, I think I might have. I know it's good. <laughs> I'm a sucker for ginger. Um, yes, we are in Virginia. So I did what I do, and I hopped on the old interwebs and looked around to see what the hell is popular in Virginia. I found a drink list from insider.com from, I think, 2020. Yeah. It's the most popular cocktail in every state. And in Virginia, we've got a little bit of dark rum, a little bit of lime juice, a little bit of ginger beer, otherwise known as a dark and stormy. Not and. Mm. Mm, dark and stormy. Dark and stormy. Apparently they're also really popular in Bermuda and have been called the country's unofficial drink of choice. It's it's very much like a, a Moscow mule, only it's got dark rum instead of vodka. Uh, I wasn't for sure how well it was going to go together, but I mean... I would good. say that this doubles for a summer or winter drink. Yes. Which is mm-hmm. pretty great because yes. it's like, oh, you could drink this when it's hot outside, but you could drink this when it's cold outside and it doesn't feel wrong. Right. Like a pineapple like or a blue carousel, yeah, like, you know, fruity thing. Bushwhacker frozen ice cream <laughs> drink or something like that. Yeah, yeah this one, the, the spice of the ginger beer has a nice warming effect to it, but it's got a really smooth flavor. I mean, I figured you get the rum, you get the lime... It's going to go good together. Ginger beer is seems to be a, a good little mix for a lot of things. Oh, so. it's the greatest. 
I don't remember what brand I got this time, but... I feel like I saw it in there. Something with a T. Yeah. Have you ever had uh, Gosling's? Something tree or... Had what? Gosling's ginger beer. I have not had Gosling's ginger beer, That's but one, one this is Gosling's dark rum. Oh, I didn't know they there was a, they made booze. I just thought that they were a company that made ginger beer. Yeah. I guess you can't make all your money on ginger beer. <laughs> But if you have your, your dark rum and your ginger beer that go well together, then you can make a shit ton because I'd, I'd easily drink one of these more often, and I think I will because I've got a bunch of ginger beer. A, a new bottle of dark rum in there and a few cans of ginger beer left over. But, I mean, there's also more in there if you wanted a refill. Oh, I'm all right. <laughs> Just getting um, lubing myself up. Yeah, we've got it uh, served in our classic... World Wrestling Federation logo glasses here that Michael has in his cabinet. We've I got uh, featuring Demolition, the Bushwhackers, and the Ultimate Warrior. R.I.P. to almost everybody on these glasses. I know. I think these are the 1990 ones. Uh, I have there's a white whale of mine in this glass collection that I've had over the years, and it is. I think they're the 88 ones which were like jelly jars in canada the short ones and uh the one that i can't find because i think it was just they didn't produce as many of them uh is there's a jim duggan one but i have all the others because before that it was elizabeth was difficult to find the jim duggan one's almost impossible and then uh the big the big ones they just keep going up in price and they're not very easy to drink out of because they're huge but i have like (laughs) The Hogan, the JYD, and then the one that has J, yeah, Big John Stud, yeah, that that one. And I've seen that particular one, but it's obviously very faded and way too expensive. I'm not paying ninety dollars for a cup that's like a cup four inches tall. I yeah, don't really like all that much. No, yeah, yeah. the Miss Elizabeth one was uh, nice. the last one I bought, and it was a couple years ago. But I was it's still probably my favorite one. If this was the Ultimate Wrestling Glass podcast then yep. absolutely we get I that mean, one there's not very many of them. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's not very many of them and i would probably say i have like 70 to 80 percent of the ones that have been made the cool ones anyway yeah i do need to get you a replacement one because no i already i bought a replacement one or i found a good deal on the it. brutus yeah or was uh-huh. that the one I, yeah that broke okay yeah, yeah that's fine right. i wasn't mad but brutus is one of the easier ones to find oh, man i kind of figured so <laughs> yeah i mean jim duggan has that whole you know yeah. real american hero thing going for but him. as time goes on they become uh more skaters because there's people like me that will buy them and brutus then, is and just then there's the people who's... that'll resell them and like oh i can sell these for a whole lot of money brutus so is the a, guy and a macho in this collection as well i think i have them You've got Hogan and Macho in the other ones. I don't have them. I, I, know, I, had, I thought I had the Macho. It's possible. I haven't looked in a while. Because they got a little pricey and I was like, I don't care that much. Because I know in the other ones you've got Elizabeth, Macho, Jake. Is he on those ones? Yep, there's a Jake. That's the 88. But There's a JYD in the 85 ones. Oh, I have the JYD. I have the JYD. The JYD one, the, it spells JYD in chains and... Uh, I took a photo of it and sent the like font, the three-letter font to my friend, and I had him use that font uh, for my band's logo. <laughs> it's like, oh, can you spell our band's name in the chains? And he did, and it looks great. Oh, it and I think it's, good. I think it's the best part of our uh, stupid band is that we have a good logo. And what's the band name? Uh, Chaff. Which you can find on Spotify. On Spotify and Apple Music. 
chaff, C-H-A-F, or is there two Fs or a two P-H? Fs. Two Fs. Okay. Separate the wheat from the chaff. Um, yeah, see, I wouldn't have got that. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's probably more of a British term. Speaking of. I just like speaking down on the things that I make. Old JYD and his chain staring at me right there. Yep. Yeah, when, when I first saw that in your hand earlier, I only caught a glance of it, and I thought it was Rick Steiner, because I just saw uh, really dude, short hair, mustache. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty expressionistic as far <laughs> as the art design goes. But Either way. Solid gifts. Big dog. Yep. Delicious drink. Absolutely. Absolutely. But something that would happen right around the same time. Oh, yeah. As in your house 15. Everybody was getting groovy at the theater with Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. It holds up, guys. I watched it a couple weeks ago. I have not revisited the sequels. I've never seen Goldmember all the way through. I saw this first one on video and I watched the crap out of it. And then the second one. I eagerly awaited and saw it in the theater, and I thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened. And uh, I can say at least the first one holds up incredibly well. It's See, very funny. I tried to watch the first one also a couple weeks ago, and I really? opened up my uh, DVD that I had because I bought the three-disc yeah. set. It's like $8 while you're checking out at Walmart or something. First one was not in it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, son of a bitch. Yeah. So I'm going to have to, I didn't even realize that was on the list until I looked at the notes today. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to have to rewatch it because I watched the shit out of that one. Do you but... have a favorite joke that you remember from the movie? <sighs> it's a hard one because, I mean, there's so many is, jokes. It's, it's I mean, overly quotable. Yeah. Back in the day at Blockbuster. Set up for our Patreon. <laughs> you can give us one million dollars. <laughs> I mean, the pee joke, incredibly funny uh, at the beginning of the movie. Um, Who does number two work for? <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really good... I mean, that... But my favorite is... Because uh, I, I think about it pretty regularly. Every time I, like, am in a weird parking or backing up or, like, a tight... Yes. Yeah, the... You know the scene. The where, <laughs> does the... Yeah, he's just... He's in the hallway, but he's it's like, why don't you just get up and run? And it's <laughs> so funny. But I think about it all the time. Like, I... Pulled out of work the other day and it's kind of a tight parking spot and I was like, it's like oh shit, uh, mm. am I gonna hit uh, this car behind me? And it's like a room. And I'm like yeah, and that the first thing that pops in my head is uh, the Austin Powers uh, golf cart scene towards the end of the movie. Like the ones that are constantly going because here it is, twenty seven years later, and I often still have the quotes of it running through my head just because it's one of those that I saw too many times. But I mean the. Who throws a shoe, honestly? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who throws a shoe? You show that turd who's boss? Yep. Uh, it's so good. Yeah. I, I can crazy... constantly hear Frau Sharks with in laser my head beams on the crazy thing about. The, Fimbots! <laughs> uh, the crazy She's thing so about the. There's so many good characters. Especially the first one. Yeah. Is that, like, for some reason, it didn't hit at the theater at all. And it hit on, it hit on tape. Once it, it yeah. was once it hit home I video. I saw it in the theater and I thought, this is the stupidest fucking movie I've ever seen. Kind of like Napoleon and it Dynamite. Came on video yeah. and I was working at Blockbuster and took it home and watched it with a couple of friends of mine. And maybe it was because I watched it by myself the first time and yeah. I had to have the, the friend um, interaction going on while it was going. But then it was like, all right, this one's better. And then the next time I watched it, it was even better and it just became one that I watched constantly. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like comedies are kind of always most comedies work better if you're watching them communal yeah communally um and then so they're like hit better in like a good theater or 
with friends at home, just like stand-up comedy. It's like if you could watch a really great stand-up special at home and you probably won't be rolling, but if you if you liked it and you saw that comedian live, it's just infectious. It's just different. Because then I think the second one is the movie that I've watched the most times in a theater. Wow. Because I think I went and saw it six times in a theater. That's Damn. nuts. Damn. I don't know if I've ever seen anything six times in a theater. Oh, I have. The one that, <laughs> the movie that I think I've seen the most in the theater is really embarrassing. There are no embarrassing ones. What do you, yeah, what do you got? There is, because it was directed by Rob Zombie. Was, Which one? Uh, the um, Devil's Rejects. I know. That's I was a guilty a, pleasure movie. I was an edgy teenager, and my friends and I just kept seeing it over and over again because it was fucked up. See, you and my, my niece would really get along. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, yeah but I don't know how it holds up. I think most Rob Zombie movies don't hold up particularly well, but that one might. Uh, the most, I'm trying to think, which one have I seen the most in theaters? Because there was a summer that Cocktail was free at midnight, so oh, wow. I went and saw Cocktail almost on a nightly basis because what the hell else is there to do in a teeny tiny small town when I was a kid and I was allowed to be out? Walking to the theater at midnight. And it's like, oh, I can leave if I want um, to as well. It's like, oh, or I can get out of here. The Net with Sandra Bullock. Oh. Because that was one. We had a dollar theater right off of the college campus in Lincoln, Nebraska. And when I didn't want to go to class, I'd just walk over to the theater. And there was a good three week stint where I didn't want to go to class. So I pretended like I went to school and I just went to the movies. That sounds so awesome. Sandra Bullock in The Net over and over and over and over. But it's. It's a great movie if you've Man, never seen it. If I had a theater in walking distance from me at any point in my life, I it's probably trouble. would have done that more. It's it's troublesome to the point where when the uh, movie theater decides that they're going to renovate, they hit you up to see if you want your chair that you sit in every single time <laughs> for the last six years. Yeah, because you, you yeah you've been floating <laughs> them. You paid for the for the renovation. Yeah, the the last time I went to that theater, they had fully removed the seat that I had. They had gone in, put all these new seats in, had them, you know, labeled with people who donated money and whatnot. You never worked there? No. Damn. I, I was the guy was that they a, would... Was it owned by, like, a Regal or AMC or no, just a mom and pop? mom and pop. That's awesome. Small town That's in so Nebraska. Cool. You had the ISIS Theater in Crete, Nebraska, and then you had the Revola or something like How that. How many screens? Seward, Six? Eight? One. Oh wow! So there was there was a couple of times where I was watching the movie, and my friends awesome. who were working there would come and ask me for help, and I'd go up to the projectionist projection and you know help oh, them change a reel or whatever for the next movie. That's cool. It's so cool. I love the idea of being a projectionist, but it's like not a real thing anymore because nothing gets shown on film, and yeah, if it is, it's digital. because it's like Tarantino or uh, some big director that can get away with doing something like that, where he did like the road show. Or, I don't think Oppenheimer played in 70mm, but I feel like there was something else recently that played in 70mm and, like, toured. But now everything's just digital. It's like, oh, yeah. But yeah, this this theater specifically, when they redid their seats, the last time I went there, my chair that I sat in for all of my childhood years was no longer there. The row that they replaced it with, they had put a handicap spot where my seat always was, so you had to basically bring your... I shouldn't say bring your own chair, but you, know, <laughs> you had to sit in your wheelchair. I've got a picture of me just sitting on the floor in the empty spot. Wait, <laughs> oh. they gave you the chair. So do you no. have to? Oh, I thought you. Said I, I was already chair. living in Oklahoma when that oh. happened, and there was no way I was driving back to Nebraska to get an entire row of chairs. I can break it off because it would have been a, a full-on movie theater 
section. <laughs> if only we had homes that large. I was told at one point that they were going to be making a new Austin Powers, but I don't know if that's... Supposedly he's writing a fourth one that ever happens. I'm, I hope so. With all the it could be fun the reboots being, and, and whatnot, I think it'd be good to have one more Austin Powers, and you know that way he can hopefully make up for. It's like you can't tarnish the love guru. guru. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was exactly what I was about to say. It's like, well, the next thing didn't really work. Uh, so, I, <laughs> I wish Mike Myers would do more serious stuff, though, because I mean he was one of my favorites in the movie Fifty Four. He was great in Inglorious Bastards. I mean, he has. Yeah, these, I was trying to remember. I was like, yeah, I was like what's the serious what thing? The serious thing that he just did. Yeah. yeah, he's got these where he just shows up, and he's one of those really talented character actors because you expect him to do these stupid jokes, and then they put you know put him in seventies gear or dress him up like they did in Inglorious Bastards, and yeah, it's I hard could, to recognize him at times. I could see a, a Wayne's oh, World or an as well or a Awesome okay. Powers, another one of either of those, but. I think that Austin Powers would be um, better, and I love Wayne's World, but like, they're too old. To old, old rocker is always sad. Yeah, and they and, were already old rocker looking when they were supposed to be younger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has he had a quite a baby face for sure, but like, yeah, still it's like oh, but old Austin Wayne Powers is funny because he's one of those too. Yeah, because he's always he's always been, like the whole idea is fish out of water. Just, so. just give me a so I married another axe murderer. Forget Wayne's World three. I don't. I think. Uh, I think I'd rather get Wayne's World three, but no. Uh, so I married an axe murderer. That was one of my. It's good. It was. It was. I like it's, it. Yeah. All it I know. Guilty pleasure, guys. There's nothing like a shorn scrotum. <laughs> so we get the WWF logo before going to black and white footage of a cross in front of a moon. And we get back and forth highlights and sound bites from Undertaker and Austin's, starting with the dead man letting us know he isn't afraid of being on the edge of Armageddon. There is no mercy or remorse. Hey, wow, that's two future WWF pay-per-views right there. Armageddon and no mercy. One of them is a video game. (laughs) I don't know if there was an Armageddon video game, but there was no mercy. Stone Cold believes someone will get their ass whipped, and it will be one hell of a fight. Before Taker says Austin will rest in peace. While Stone Cold says the Undertaker will have the coldest day in hell. Drink. Drink. Jim Ross then welcomes us to the show. Joined by Jerry the King Lawler. Wishing everyone a happy Mother's Day. And speaking about the matches. Blimp alert. We got a blimp guys. I love a blimp. (laughs) Lawler then hopes Shamrock has hugged and kissed his mother. Because he may never see her again. While also thinking Ahmed won't win against the nation. And we might notice that Vince McMahon's not here. I know! It's because a family friend had passed away. And he was attending her funeral. Well, that's... uh... Very sweet. I just assumed that it was this was the the start the, of the, the Lawler yeah. Ross era. Yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking that too when I was watching this. Of, I wonder is this the first time that it's been the two of them only? But it does make sense because at the very end of the show, spoiler alert, as before they go off air, I believe that that Jr. or whatever does a thing like he does a like on behalf of the McMahon family, and they'd like to. And that's the family friend. That yeah, the family he, friend. I can't remember their name. Return. I have it written down at the end of my notes, but we're not there yet. Rose Anderson. Rose Anderson. Rest in peace, Rose. Uh, happy birthday in heaven. 
Rose Anderson. Hmm. It's a good name. I'm doing a storyline now. Ken Anderson, Rose Anderson, secretly the mother of Ken, <laughs> who was once supposed to be Mr. McMahon's son on TV. It, it just writes itself right there. Perfect. You got it. I'm sorry, Rose's family, if you're listening, if this is in bad taste, but <laughs> I apologize. So we go to our first match. <laughs> Flash Funk versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley with China. And JR tells us the Funkettes were scared of China. So that's why they're not there. I know. I was like, where are the Funkettes? And then he said that. And I was like, that checks out. We saw what he did to Marlena. Or it was just a cost-cutting cost yeah, yeah. measure. Uh-oh. Budget cuts, huh? Yep. Yeah. Well, Funkettes are us was closed. <laughs> Ross sends us to footage from Shotgun Saturday Night, the previous night, where Mankind had the mandible claw on Triple H, when China would jump in the ring to low-blow Foley. Only for mankind to reapply the hold so she would kick him south of the border. Double low blow. And Flash uses his speed early on to hit arm drags, drop kicks, and shoulder blocks as JR talks about the five seats the Hart Foundation has bought off some ticket scalpers so they can sit at ringside for the main event. And I gotta say, I've seen scalpers back in my day. I never saw scalpers with front row seats. They, no. they were missing out. I mean, you, you could have got... Yeah, it's not like today where everything's scalped because you can use the internet and stuff like that. It's like, oh, scalpers were either outside of the venue or they were posting in like the like classifieds in the newspaper pre-internet. Because I definitely got some from the classifieds a couple times when I was young. Or at least I got my dad to buy them and then take me to the show because I didn't have a car. Yeah. By the time I had a car, there was the internet. I went to the scalpers outside a couple of times. Funk is sent to the ropes, avoiding a clothesline with a cartwheel, followed by an enziguri and a dropkick to send Hunter out to the floor. And Flash with a springboard clothesline out onto Triple H. He goes for a baseball slide, only for Hunter to move and grab the ref, allowing China to attack from behind. It does feel like we've, it's been a while since we've seen Flash. It probably hasn't been that long, but it's like, oh yeah. He's here. He's here. He's got his knee highs. He can do stuff. I thought it was really interesting that JR talks about how, you know, he worked in the Japanese j- dojo. They normally don't talk about other promotions you don't very have regularly. You get there. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the time. <laughs> it's like they're not talking to ECW, but they're at least talking his training because I mean, the only, way, the only way that you could really watch Japanese stuff was tape trading. Yeah, so, so it was like it's not really much of a competition for WWE. No, not at, at all. This point. Yeah, at this point, it's like it doesn't exist, and it sounds cooler than it's like, oh, he got hit with chairs in ECW. It's like, oh no, he trained in Japan, and like you know, what people think of, you know, martial arts in the mid '90s. Back in the ring, Triple H with a face crusher, a high knee, and strikes in a corner where China gets a few shots in as well. Hunter with a vertical suplex, a running knee drop, and various holds that wear down Funk before another high knee sends Flash out to the apron, where Triple H hits a running high knee that causes Funk to hit face first on the rampway. Ouch. The King with some very insensitive but moderately funny jokes here asks JR if he thinks... China wears briefs or boxers. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and then JR, maybe the funniest thing JR's ever said, he says, Ask Eddie Murphy, he'd have a better idea than me, which is, so like I said, insensitive, but it's like, 
That's pretty fucking uh, clever and quick for Jim Ross, Still who's not that. typically the comedy guy. Eddie Murphy picked up a trans trans in a rainstorm or something like that. <laughs> it was just a, giving her a ride it, home. A, yeah, mm-hmm. all night long. <laughs> Triple H drags Flash back into the ring before climbing to the top, coming off with a double axe handle. But Flash gets a boot up and begins to rally with right hands. A sweep of the legs, chops, and a back body drop. And Funk continues with a clothesline and a twisting pump leg drop for a two count, followed by a top rope crossbody and a hard whip that sends Hunter flare flipping his way onto the ropes. Flash continues with a spinning heel kick before climbing to the top, only for Triple H to make it to the ropes, causing Funk to crotch himself, followed by delivering a release super back suplex. Ah, nice. Hunter then nails the pedigree for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Post-match, China makes her way into the ring to crotch Flash on the top rope as well while Triple H has a good laugh about it. You got funked up. The um, Jerry Waller also, another shot towards China and Donald Trump, says that China may be the reason that uh, Donald Trump and Marla Maples broke up. Which isn't as good of a joke because it's just like, oh, now we're just picking off headlines, but making fun of a woman for her looks. But it's wrestling, guys. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> She'll have the last laugh when it comes to the looks in WWE. So JR has the house bike to point out to the crowd the empty seats that the Hart Foundation bought before sending it to UFC footage of Kid Shamrock. Where we see him beating random people with different holds and whatnot. It's pretty interesting, too, because it's like, oh, they're not viewing UFC as a competitor. It's Mm -hmm. not a big enough thing. We just wanted to let you know that this guy's a badass. It's also pretty wild, because it's pretty rare uh, that he's talking on the god mic to the whole crowd. Because, uh, yeah, that's typically not the case at a live wrestling show. I found that interesting. I don't feel like we've seen that before. Or if we have, it's been a long time, at least in the WWF. We then get Ken on the Titantron, where JR interviews him, asking if Vader and Mankind's attack have affected him, which they had done so earlier in the evening on the pre show, which we do see some footage of. And Shamrock just says he's focused and in the zone, that they won't shake him from that zone, and when the bell rings, it's knuckle-up time. It's knuckle-up time! I mean, yeah, it's like, uh, it's not the worst catchphrase, but it's not going to catch on. Knuckle-up, it's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> That's better. That's already better, Shane. It's still not great, but it's better. Yeah, when I started the show, on my recording, there was a, a pre-match... Uh, I guess uh, the kickoff show. The kickoff show, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was free for all. That's what it was called back then. Also, it's the time to dog. knuckle well, up. He's not road dog yet, but yeah, Jesse just James, James against Rockabilly. It's time to knuckle up instead of it's knuckle up time. I get what he's doing the Vader thing, but it's yeah, knuckle up is fine. But the other one's a little sweaty. <laughs> so we go to our second match: Mankind versus Rocky Maivia, and. Letting you guys know, Foley was supposed to face Sid here. 
as he had prevented mankind from using a blowtorch on The Undertaker. But Psycho Sid's injury had continued to linger, so he was replaced by the former Intercontinental Champion. Mm-hmm. This match kind of makes me happy. It's like the start of so many awesome things to come. And as Foley makes his way to the ring, we get highlights of Mankind, the Dead Man, and Flash Paper, which is why Paul Bearer hasn't been seen since the last pay-per-view, as he's recovering from his burns. And Todd Pettengill interviews Rocky before he makes his entrance, showing footage of his debut and his Intercontinental title win. But Todd also reminds him that he had lost the belt to Owen Hart before asking if success had come too soon, with Mayavir responding that it did. He surprised even himself with the success, that he also hell a lot, learned a hell of a lot of on the way up and <laughs> the way down. It was good. He was doing really well, and then he, you know, his tongue got too fat. But he's getting there. It was better than it's better than previous, even with the mistake. Oh yeah, it's better. Rocky continues that this isn't about his destiny; it's about his determination before making his way to the ring. It's not about destiny; it's my density. And Mayavia starts it off hot with strikes, a back body drop, a drop kick, and a clothesline to send Foley out to the floor. But Rocky gets dragged out as well for the two to brawl and momentarily. Rock, Rocky doesn't have the like smile and the skirt on his way out. There's a slight change in demeanor and gear. He doesn't have that goofy skirt or the... He's not walking down smiling. He's walking down determined. Yeah, he's, he's looking uh, He's looking to get that A little ragged. Yeah. Back in the ring, Maivia nails a power slam, an elbow drop, and goes to a hammerlock until Mankind pulls Rocky by the tights through the ropes, followed by a cannonball off the apron. And they return to the ring where Foley keeps up the attack with a running knee and turnbuckle smashes until Mankind misses a charge into a corner, allowing Maivia to go for a clothesline but Foley tries for one at the same time for the double KO. Oh my gosh. The two men fight their way out to the ramp where Rocky delivers a Uranagi before bringing Mankind back to the ring for a two count. Foley then collapses on a whip attempt, so Mayavia capitalizes with a belly-to-belly suplex for a near fall, but then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Mankind to hit a clothesline. Rocky responds with an inside cradle for a two count, a clothesline to the back of the head, and a shoulder breaker before climbing to the top for a crossbody. But fully catches him with the mandible claw on his way down, causing Mayavia to pass out, forcing the ref to call for the stoppage and the win. Oh, yeah, I mean, it was good stuff, and we're coming up on Ty Rocky Die. He's getting booze. Um, it doesn't help that mankind has been so goddamn entertaining for the past two years. He might and these and are, Stone Cold is like these a are face two, these now. Are, these two guys are two ships of the night passing each other on the way to the opposite. <laughs> one to a face, one to a heel. Yeah, yeah. It's a good uh, transition match. Also, I love mankind's second theme whenever he wins yes it just doesn't we don't get it a lot but every time we get it i am so delighted to uh 
to hear it, uh, such a good concept and idea. Raw shows us footage from this past week's Raw is War, where we see Crush have his own gauntlet match, where he dispatched two jobbers without issue. But the third man came down in a Packers jacket and a stocking over his head before hitting the Pearl River Plunge <sighs> and revealing himself to be Ahmed Johnson. Packers jacket didn't give it away. <laughs> I mean, why would anyone wear a stocking over their head? The Robin uh, gas station. Exactly. So we go to our third match. Crush, Savio Vega, and Farouk with the Nation of Domination versus Ahmed Johnson in a gauntlet match. As the Nation enters the arena, Pettengill is in the back with Ahmed, saying they had planned on spacing the matches out throughout the evening. But during the free-for-all, Johnson had agreed to face them all in succession, with Todd thinking the odds are stacked in favor of the nation. And Ahmed says it's always that way, daring Farouk to start the match, since this is all about the two of them. But if he brings his goons to the party, they might as well dance. JR then tells us that Crush has the flu, and Savio has a twisted ankle, while Farouk <laughs> still has that separated shoulder. Or is it all a ruse? Ruse, ruse, ruse. Now once uh, the nation gets down to the ring, President Gorilla Monsoon comes out and he orders them that they have to stand on the stage area. Yep. And wait until it's their turn. Nice. I thought that was... Smart and fun and interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, the injury thing makes sense, but it's like, oh, convenient. I like Farouk coming out with the sling. But it gets your mind moving. You're like, okay, well, what's going to actually happen? And you want to see it. So Johnson goes right after Crush with punches, a scissor kick, and a body slam. But the big man avoids an elbow drop to nail a boot to the head. Followed by a diving clothesline and locking on a nerve hold. <laughs> I feel like um, if, if you're a big man and do a nerve hold, or like if you're shredded and do a nerve hold to somebody, it's okay. Or if you are shredded and somebody does a nerve hold on, like, you're trapped because you actually have them, it's okay. So it gets the pass as far as the nerve slash trap hold goes, as far as my personal internal logic, my head cannon. And Ross tells us that if Ahmed wins, the nation must disband, while our competitors trade suplexes for two counts. And, I mean, AJ is getting... I'm, excuse me, Ahmed Johnson. Yeah, it took me a second. Like Ahmed AJ. Johnson is getting uh, he got a big pop. He's been going on for a long time, but he looks like a star. He mm-hmm. comes out like douses himself with water. He looks even more jacked. He gets the pop. Jr's on the mics talking about how he was a ex gang gang member and came up in a rough area and this is a, trying to make him the sympathetic baby face. Which is a little hard when you look that good. Yeah. But I'm pro Ahmed Johnson. Crush applies a sleeper to take Johnson down to the mat, but he begins to rally to escape with elbows, only to run right into a knee from the big man. Crush then beckons for the nation to come down to help, but they don't budge from the top of the ramp. So the big man delivers a pile driver to Ahmed before signaling for his team once more. But again, the nation doesn't oblige. 
So Crush tries for the heart punch, only for Johnson to counter with a heel kick for the pin. I mean, Crush, what are they going to do? Get DQ'd and then maybe have to disband? You're the odd man out here. You're the white guy. JR. Reverse discrimination. Yeah, Jr. Also, um, to be fair, he's one of like three white guys because the yeah the rapper guys the rapper guys they're yeah. horrible by the way they are awful <laughs> they do they're they're very much on the level of Crush in my opinion yeah the uh, <laughs> at least Crush looks like a professional wrestler Jr. even gets a little dirty here as he asks <laughs> says King you know well as anyone uh, that a big Johnson is hard to handle it is funny to see the commentary <laughs> getting more. Blue. There's the China stuff early on, and then here it's like that's not even. Yeah, it's like well, his last name's Johnson. So this is around yeah. the time that those big Johnson Church, T-shirts yeah. were popular. Yeah, she had like the mid '90s or early '90s with their co-ed naked whatever shirts, uh-huh. and I'm, then yeah, I'm more of a big dogs guy. Big dogs. <laughs> I had a big dogs shirt that was uh, a stone cold big dog shirt. <laughs> so Savio limps his way to the ring where Ahmed hits a back body drop for a near fall, followed by multiple clotheslines, but after a reversed whip, Vega is able to nail a spinning heel kick, and Savio starts attacking Johnson's kidneys, choking him across the ropes, and ramming Ahmed into an exposed turnbuckle, before locking on a double nerve hold. From a single to a double. Yeah, I know Johnson's a jacked guy and all, but... I don't know if Savio's the right guy to do a nerve hold on him. Savio. I've been a, a champion for Savio since he, he came along, but I don't know if this is the best hold for him. I like him. I think he's a pretty good worker. I think yeah. that one of my favorite things about Savio is that he is large, he looks kind of sloppy, and he works kind of sloppy, so it feels a little more real. He's kind of the... WWE's Eddie Kingston, <laughs> but obviously he can do a lot more than Eddie Kingston because he's That's about a hundred pounds less. Uh, you say it like that, but yeah, it's like oh, he feels like your next door neighbor. That's like just a little too tall. And they so could they I could look, also kick your ass. I look at Savio and I think, damn, he's the short one, huh? <laughs> yeah. Johnson breaks free again with elbows and right hands before delivering an arm drag and heading to the top for a diving headbutt. Only for Vega to move in time. Savio then whips Ahmed to a corner, following in with a corner splash, but Johnson avoids, allowing him to nail a back suplex and a power slam for a two count. And Ahmed signals for the end, so Vega escapes out to the floor, where he hits a thrust kick before grabbing a chair and jamming it straight into Johnson's face to be disqualified. Boo! Savio continues with a few more chair shots as Farouk makes his way to the ring, removing his sling and entering the ring to slap and stomp Ahmed, only for Johnson to respond with an inside cradle for an airfall. It's a close one. The militant continues with headbutts and goes to run the ropes, only for Ahmed to catch him for a spinebuster and the Pearl River Plunge for the pin. And no, Farouk kicks out. I mean, the fucking crowd is hot. It's undeniable. We we might feel like this Farouk Ahmed thing's been going on for too long, 
but it also helps that there's 1,400 people, 1,400 people, 14,000 people here, because in a 6,000 person crowd, even if they were into this, it's like if half of the crowd is into this, it sounds yeah, well, much better. Well, the crowd's better. been waiting for this too, because we want to. We they, they've it. had this feud going on for a little while, but Ahmed was hurt, Farouk was hurt, so we didn't really get to see. Yeah. The two of them throw down as much. A little while is an understatement. <laughs> Johnson begins to argue with the ref, allowing the militant to chop blocking from behind, followed by a dominator for the pin and yeah. the win. Should have stayed focused there, so Johnson. The nation of the domination gets to stay together. I know. The thing is, is like they're never going to put this match at the top of the card, but this feels like. It deserves a true NWA-style cage match. Program's been going on for a while, and this there was I mean, caveat here. Was supposed to be for the Intercontinental Title two yeah. months ago. Yeah, but it's like I want to see these guys in a cage match with some blood. Doesn't that sound great? Always. Yeah. Ninety-nine percent sure we're not going to get that. If we if we if it was on the if it was on the docket, I feel like I would have heard about it. JR sends us to a video package about Vader and Shamrock. We hear Ken doing commentary during a Mastodon match, and after he won, Vader would taunt Shamrock, with Ken telling him to shut up. And the Mastodon would dare him to enter the ring, even spitting on him. So Shamrock storms the ring, and they go after each other. We then go to the back with Todd Pettengill, who's with Vader, showing him footage from his attack on Ken during the free-for-all with mankind and Todd asks what he was thinking with the Mastodon just responding that he was just playing with the boy ABC calls him the world's most dangerous man but they said nothing about the WWF and Pettengill asks for Vader's strategy and the answer is pain before Vader says Shamrock knows nothing about that game also uh, it's time it's Vader time it's time. So we go to our fourth match. Vader versus Ken Shamrock in a no-holds-barred match. And the rules of this match are shown on a graphic, telling us there are no pinfalls, win by submission or knockout, and there is a standing eight count. Nah. Oh, wait. I'm getting news. Wait, what was that, Ross? No standing eight counts. Okay. He made like a huge deal about it. It was just like, no, sorry, there's just not a standing eight count. Like, they, they don't even do a standing eight count spot in this match. No, so he could have just not said anything, and it would have been fine. Yeah, absolutely. I like that on the like package, the Titantron package. They actually show Vader with that really bloody eye. From yes. that four-way match. I was noticing that too. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they actually did that. Normally they shy away from that stuff. <laughs> Think of the children. And then also Vader being upset about how they didn't mention the WWF. Proud of it. Even as a heel being like, oh no, we're wrestlers and what we're talking about. Also interesting thing for a heel to be upset about. Well, you got this guy coming in from the outside. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm uh, pro all of this, by the way. I'm just just pointing out some of the things that are interesting. Yeah, the uh, the bloody face 
I had to rewind it just to make sure I saw what I saw. Yeah, because that's a really gory. This is really uh, different for them to have in the actual intro graphics. I mean, we've seen them and WCW be like cut oh, away. Oh, it's from, blood. Go black and white. Yeah, or or just yeah, cut a, have further shots. Obviously, the Bischoff freaking out about it. Maybe in '96 is yeah comes to mind, but even the austin brett thing they never shoot and whenever i think of that match i always think of austin like head on but that's not on that pay-per-view that head-on shot of like him in the let's call it the texas close relief texas close relief in the sharpshooter is not doesn't exist on that show at all i was waiting to see it because i've seen that photo it might only be a photo or it might have been just a from an alternate edit, angle. or yeah, or maybe it was an artist interpretation. I don't know, but that's what I always think of, and it's like, oh, that shot's not in the pay per view. So Ken starts it off with some stiff kicks, but the Mastodon grabs a waist lock for a suplex, only for Shamrock to block and transition into a Kimura, forcing Vader to make the ropes. Ken then misses a roundhouse kick, allowing the Mastodon to take Shamrock to a corner for stiff shots. But Ken escapes and goes for a suplex of his own, only for Vader to again make the ropes to break the hold. You know what I'm thinking early in this match is Muhammad Ali versus Antonio Inoki, except for it's still more entertaining. <laughs> Shamrock with more kicks and grabs a waist lock for a back suplex, sending the Mastodon to roll outside to regroup. Now Vader gets back in and hits an avalanche attack, but Ken answers right back with another back suplex and forearms, sending the Mastodon to the floor once more. Vader returns to nail a headbutt, some stiff shots, but Shamrock counters a suplex into a submission attempt, only for the Mastodon to escape to the floor, where you hear him tell Ken to ease up. Vader asking somebody to go lighter, huh? Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, I know. Uh, Vader... Also, like he yells out in pain in the first like mat hold, and it's and then goes out to the apron. It's like this is not Vader. This makes Shamrock look great and imposing and dangerous, as they should. As I mean, that's what they're working towards, and they're doing a good job of it. But there's a solid amount of cheers for Shamrock. I mean, he made that poor man bleed recently. Shamrock doesn't listen as he throws more forearms and kicks before going for a suplex. Vader just throws him away, followed by a short arm clothesline and an arm bar, only for Ken to counter it into an arm drag and a triangle choke. Now the Mastodon uses his power to lift Shamrock up, dropping him hard on the mat to release the hold, before suplexing Ken over the ropes to the floor. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. Ouch. Vader follows out to slam Shamrock face first into the still steps multiple times. Some stiff body shots before returning to the ring where the Mastodon whips Ken hard into a corner and applies an ankle lock. But Shamrock escapes, only for Vader to then lock on a sleeper. But Ken then escapes that to a corner where the Mastodon nails some stiff shots, a corner avalanche, and attempts a moonsault, which Shamrock somewhat avoids. Yeah, it looked yeah. like he uh, got hit with the, the top quarter or fifth of Vader. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Ken fires up with knees, kicks, and slams before using different submissions. 
which Vader keeps making the ropes to break the holds. And the Mastodon is wobbly in a corner, with Shamrock just continuing the punishment with more forearms, when Vader just clobbers Ken in the face. And the Mastodon goes for the pin, only for Shamrock to reverse it into an ankle lock for the submission and, and the win. <sighs> and this wonderful crowd of 14,000 people. Pop. This crowd sounds so good on this show. Post-match officials have to help Vader walk to the back while he shoves the ring steps in frustration. Pissed. So the Mastodon actually ended up with a broken nose and injured legs that he couldn't walk for a couple of days. Damn. Jesus. As Ken thought that Vader rolling out of the ring was trying to sabotage the match, causing him to lay his shots in even stiffer. Damn. Ken was born for this shit. He's old school. That's wild. It's called he doesn't know any better. Yeah. He doesn't know any better, but he he saw he he felt sabotage. He's feels he feels comfortable enough to to lay in like that is uh the impressive part. I'm not condoning it. I wonder how many people in the back were like, Yeah, just hit him as hard as you can. What's also funny is yeah, it's like people is like people talk about Vader <laughs> I mean, being notorious for uh, working he- working, you know, stiff. And uh, Ken works stiff on Vader, and it's all yeah, it's poetic justice. I don't know if it, it's not been confirmed by any means, but this match was a little bit of punishment for the Kuwait situation that Vader. Did he refused to go. No, well, no he, he got he got in trouble over there. Got in trouble so, over there about the wrestling is fake, and yeah, he yeah ended up on house he arrest. Went all, all Vader on the, the television morning news host or whatever. They just made the WWF look bad, plus they had to remove him from the last pay-per-view, basically, because of yeah. it. Yeah. We go to Todd Pettengill in the back with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Todd mentions the empty seats at ringside. The Stone Cold doesn't care about that. Just means the Hart family will be closer to him. So after he whips Taker's ass, he'll send them back to Calgary in wheelchairs. Austin then asks if the Undertaker has checked the weather. Hell is about to freeze over. And that's the bottom line. And Stone Cold leaves, leaving Todd to show us footage of Austin giving the dead man a stunner and flipping him off. But Taker would grab Stone Cold by the throat and deliver a choke slam, Even though Pettengill liked to call it a tombstone. Yeah, I caught that. I'm like, no, no, sir. So we go to our fifth match. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker for the WWF Championship. Stone Cold makes his entrance. JR says he has the disposition of a rattlesnake. While Lawler points out an Austin for President sign, mentioning he would make the national bird the finger if that were to happen. <laughs> There we are. Yeah, it was coming. <laughs> I was like, is it a nose joke? I'm like, oh no, it's not a nose joke. It's the disposition of a rattlesnake, mm-hmm. huh? Mm-hmm. Is this our first Texas rattlesnake yes, it is. comparison? Cat. Once the dead man gets in the ring, Stone Cold gets in his face. But then, the Heart Foundation appear on the ramp before walking down and taking their front row seats. I thought that was very weird. Security... Security. Well, the thing is, is, they work there, but like they can't just clear people's seats out and then sit there. 
I guess they is the logic. Tickets. Yeah, they bought the tickets, but like they can be back there. They work for the company. But you got Brett on crutches. Why don't you just have him not have to jump a railing? <laughs> He'll be okay. Of course, the foundation is now more than just Brett Owen and Bulldog. Brian Pillman and Jim Neidhart had joined the group as the hitman needed a little more backup as he had to have knee surgery and was wheelchair bound. And the one, I mean, you know, Pillman is the odd man out here, is obviously. Yeah, he ain't family. Yeah, the Heart Foundation is. But he did train in. He did. He trained in Calgary. Calgary. Yeah, yeah. It's like it makes sense for sure, but like as far as us seeing him with these guys. I mean, Neidhart's technically not family either. No. He's an in law, isn't he? He's Natty's dad, and Brett's Natty's uncle. Uh, yeah, I guess he did marry one of the sisters, didn't he? Yep. Okay. So the last time we saw Neidhart was at Survivor Series 94, episode 136. It's been a little while. It's been a yeah, while. it's pretty, pretty Over 100 crazy. episodes. What, yeah, I was like, what is this? Two, <laughs> something? 252. Yeah. Damn, yeah. Wow. Over 100 episodes. And Taker is distracted by everything happening at ringside. So Austin attacks, leading to the two men trading strikes, until Stone Cold rolls to the floor and pulls Owen over the railing and starts attacking him. And Undertaker follows out to toss Austin into some ring steps before nailing Owen and Bulldog as well. No games played. Also, this is another kind of one where it feels like they're passing each other. I mean, it's hard for Taker to ever be a heel, but, like, Austin is super over. And uh, Taker will always be over, but is is this another passing of the ships in the night? I don't think so. Yeah, because this feels like these guys are kind of on the same level where they're, like, people love them because of, they love Taker because he's, um, a monster, essentially. Oh, yeah. And they love Stone Cold because uh, he doesn't take any shit. But that's why you got the Heart Foundation down there. To, yeah, for sure. To make both of the, the good guys shine a little brighter because yeah, Brett has no just one, as yeah. much beef with Taker because he already tried to interrupt the WrestleMania championship yeah, match people might boo- time and time and yeah. time again. <laughs> people might cheer more heavily for Austin, but they won't boo Taker. Mm-mm. So... Here they have something to boo. Back in the ring, the dead man hits a leaping clothesline and old school for a two count. But Stone Cold fights back to grab a headlock before focusing on Taker's legs, all while taunting the Heart Foundation. He has that eye poke first, though. He's still playing dirty. Austin wraps the leg around a ring post and locks in an STF until the Undertaker can reach the ropes. And Stone Cold keeps up the legwork until the dead man kicks him out of the ring, following out to toss Austin into the steel steps once more. And I, this is where I was like, is Austin, the? I guess he's the heel? He's doing extended extended uh, like mat holds. That's how you work working. Taker, though. Because Brett did the same thing to Taker when he was a face. Yeah. And... That, that's true, but he didn't do the... I guess, you know, I mean, it depends, but... The Stone Cold Eye Poke is a little more vigorous. They never, when when the turn happened on TV, they didn't really address it as much in the he's a good guy now. He's yeah. still Austin, he, still gives everybody the finger. He yeah. just he's a man on an island. Welcome. They they acknowledge the the fans are 
cheering for him now instead of trying to hide the fact that he yeah. was more popular than their baby faces when he was bad. He's the working man's baby face. They return to the ring where Taker starts working the legs of Stone Cold now, applying a half crab and forcing Austin to make the ropes. Undertaker misses a big boot, allowing Stone Cold to get back in control with a spinning toe hold before ramming the knee into the apron several times. Austin with a vertical suplex for a two count, but the dead man answers back with a hook kick and going for old school again. Don't go back to the well. Only for Stone Cold to trip him up, causing Taker to crotch himself. Because undead men have balls. Austin goes for a superplex, but the Undertaker blocks, sending Stone Cold down to the mat face first. And the dead man attempts to capitalize with an elbow drop, only for Austin to avoid, but Taker comes right back to lock on a sleeper, which Stone Cold counters with a jawbreaker and a low blow. And the ref saw it, and so he warns Austin, only to be flipped off, (laughs) allowing the Undertaker to return the favor. So Stone Cold complains, but Hebner just flips him off in return. And what great, I mean, Hebner's, the anger is palpable. And Austin charges in only for the dead men to catch him with a choke slam, with Stone Cold rolling to the apron and catching a charging taker with a hot shot before leaping into the ring to deliver a stunner for the pin. And no, Pillman distracts everyone by ringing the bell. Horrible. The Undertaker then picks up Austin for the tombstone. A real one this time. But it's reversed. Only to be reversed again with the dead man nailing the pile driver for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Cheers and booze. Post-match, the Hart Foundation jumps the railing and attacks Taker. When Stone Cold realizes that Brett is all alone uh. in the crowd. So he jumps over the railing and dumps the hitman out of his wheelchair. Grabbing the crutch and returning to the ring to clear it. Allowing the Undertaker to hit Owen with a choke slam, and leaving our two competitors alone in the ring. The Fink announces the dead man as the winner. So Stone Cold nails another stunner and flips him off before chasing the foundation up the ramp with the crutch. Ross then wishes everyone a happy Mother's Day before sending his condolences to the family of Rose Anderson and saying his goodbyes as we fade to black. Hmm. Fun little ending. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of In Your House 15, A Cold Day in Hell? Incredibly solid show. Mm -hmm. Like, that's... Nothing sucked. Most everything felt important. Not too much. Not too much in the way of Dusty Finishes. This is a show we watched recently. Matt will probably know which one it was. Where it was like, oh yeah, this was all good, but like, there was only like half of a real finish on the show. This necessarily wasn't the case here. And I don't know if there's, I don't know if I personally feel that there's anything like, like, holy shit, you have to see this. But like, there is no reason not to watch this show. I think that the, Stone Cold and Taker, you can legitimately feel 
the love and respect and the love for wrestling in that match, even inside of the WWF and the fact that Taker is this dead man, but he was he's been coming out of that shell a little more and working more like a dead man with potentially a pulse. Yeah, I agree on all of that. Good show, easy to watch. You know, like you said, there's nothing must see, life changing about it. But you know, it had its its fun moments with the if if you're one who watched throughout the Attitude Era into oh yeah, you know the early 2000s. This one I enjoyed watching. Like I said before, the match seeds. started with yeah, with with uh, mankind and mankind Rocky. and Rocky just seeing where they started at with their you know one of their first. It's pay-per-view the per- matches their together. First pay-per-view match against to, to where they went years later with the I Quit matches and the championship runs and the and Rock the, and Sock connection and the halftime. Yeah. Fucking show. Empty theater. Empty theater. Empty, empty arena, arena show. Yeah. And then the same thing with Austin and and Taker. You know they have a a good run down the line. Couple you know, a couple years sports. later, and you know just seeing this initial match between the two of them and how things go back and forth and back and forth and there's a reason that these things built to where they ended up and it's because these first matches these guys have chemistry and uh you know respect and work ethic yep but yeah not a must see but if you got time to kill one day and you want to watch a a good show from back in the day this one's a you can Not do a, a lot watch. worse. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's nothing bad here, I don't it think. definitely sounds like we're all on the same page. Uh, yeah. Because everything on the show is solid, yeah. but nothing sets the world on fire. I have no complaints about it's, any of the matches, really. It's your typical in-your-house show. It is basically setting up future storylines for the bigger shows down the road. Yeah, and doing it in an exciting way with 14,000 people. The crowd adds a lot to the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? Alright, fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? I mean, I really loved just keeping an eye on Shamrock and Vader in that match. Because you could tell there was some uh, real and palpable animosity. Which, you know, just makes you watch a little more intently. Uh, Hebner's uh, middle finger. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was fun. Melted my uh, melted my heart. Yeah. Shamrock Vader was fun. I've already mentioned my reliving the first matches. It was cool to to see Rocky and and Mankind. The there's not a bad one on here. I mean, even the the Flash Funk Triple H match. I I enjoyed. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I really was... um, like to hear Jr. and yes, the King on commentary by themselves on pay per view for the first time, and that also brought me further into the show, as well as the crowd and the fact that the matches were solid. Nothing felt particularly uh, stupid or unnecessary. The kick out of the Pearl River Plunge by Farouk. Yeah, that sucks. I was not expecting it, so it's, it was a surprise. I don't know if... I mean, I might be a little disappointed on it because I want this feud to end. But yeah. at the same time, like when it happened, I went, oh, 
we're, we're not having Ahmed win this match because... That's what my assumption was, too. And Ahmed is really over, but it's like, well, if he doesn't win soon, he's not going to be over for that much longer. You got something special that you don't even... That, like, you're lucky to have because of the break in uh, with injury and everything. You're lucky for him to be as over as he still is. So, like, you got to... Do right by it. But I literally think that might have been one of the biggest pops of yeah, it was the huge. entire night mm-hmm. from the crowd was that moment because yeah. no one was expecting it. No, no, I wasn't expecting it either. Like yeah, I said, I feel like was I feel like they have to like capitalize on Ahmed Johnson before nobody cares anymore. Everybody assumed this was going to be the end and he was finally going to get his, yeah. his payback. But then I wonder at the same time if... You know, the writers and whatnot in the back were like, Maybe they were just well, done what with the Ahmed. fuck do we do with yeah. them after that? And thing? I don't know if Ahmed <laughs> is still suffering from injuries or what. I know he doesn't go, he doesn't make it to 2000 or anything like that. No. Well, not in WWF anyways. <laughs> yeah. How about most disappointing? I mean, honestly, that Ahmed Johnson didn't win was kind of disappointing and surprising. I mean, I know you're, you seem to love this Vader-Shamrock match. I had a great time with it, but because of it the was intensity. very, it was very rough. Be- I mean, part of it's because I knew, yeah, that it was because there was miscommunication, yeah, yeah, and so that like literally Shamrock's not knowing what's going on, and so he just keeps like, so it was a little rough for me to watch. But like I said, yeah. that's because I had that knowledge. For me, the roughness is what I think I enjoyed it's kind of you know i got lost in uh where they were because they were lost in where they were but it intrigued me and uh i love uh some vader shoot rights and uh ken was right there with him whereas most guys are telling vader to lay off vader had to tell ken chamrock to lay off i i'm gonna throw this one out there just because you've got one of the bigger gates here for in, in your house that you've had in a while. So, I mean, I guess they, they may not have known the exact count when the budget cuts were made, but I think it would have been fun to have the Funkettes out there and have China be the one who removed them. Let them have their, their little farewell with Flash. China knocks them the funk out of the company, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, I think that the issue with Just that to, is Just that... to show her as more of a, a badass that... Oh, know, we all know she's badass. Yeah, but... They just to continue that? Yeah. Instead of her just... No one in WWE is safe. She's going to come after the men just as the same as she's going to come after their managers or their dancers. But the dancers probably aren't going to take the extra $50 to get thrown around. Whereas Marlena's been around wrestling for a long time. Mm -hmm. Who knows? They could have made something from one of them. All it takes is a crowd reaction. And one of the Funkettes, I don't remember their names at all, but they could have been... I don't know if they had them. I don't know if they were always the same ladies. They could have been in, you know, a somebody instead of just a funkette. But I guess being a funkette is something already. <laughs> it's, it's something. I'm a best performer of the night. Hmm. It's tough. I don't think anybody did a poor job. I'm going to give it to JR and Lawler. I don't hate that one. Yeah, the, no. the two of them, it was... I mean, it was like the... And kind of the a first of... Many to come for the future. It's like the yeah. first time McMahon hasn't been in the way, and it's like, oh, these guys are like, it's already there. Mm-hmm. It's already like a hundred percent there. 
I don't need you, Vince. Just sitting back and talking our ear instead. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Austin, like, everybody that did great, did great. Mm-hmm. I think Ahmed did great. I think Austin, but, like, Austin is just continually, continuing to just ramp it up. So it feels weird to give it to anybody else. I can't give it to Austin or Undertaker because I do feel like that match drags a little bit in the middle of it when they're, yeah. doing, when they're doing all the legwork. But that's kind of what I appreciate about it, but I understand what you're saying. So, I mean... What are you thinking? I mean, I... Like, everybody showed up to work. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, everything is solid, but there, there's nothing really to complain about or to really hype be hyped about on this show and we give it to Hebner and his two birds I mean we could give it <laughs> but I mean that's why I was like I mean JR and JR and Lawler there was many lines that they said during the show that either you or I brought up yeah right, that we had a good laugh about so I'm like I I, I kind of think if it's not that it might just be this crowd yeah. the crowd I mean the crowd that's yeah it. the crowd added add, added a huge amount they always do. We can give a we can give a post humanist one to Rose Anderson. I mean, she, she took Vince away. She did, and uh, for that made the show more entertaining. And how about most surprising? I think we kind of all agreed Ahmed not winning after the Pearl River Plunge yeah. was, was a little bit shocking. Yeah, but it also made the match just a little bit better as well. Yeah, him continuing to be as over as he is, and then also losing. Is definitely the surprise for me. Neidhart and Pillman joined the Hart Foundation because they weren't there a couple weeks ago. Whenever we True. last saw the Hart Foundation, yeah, I would I would put that as a surprise um, as well. But I kind of know that that was going to happen just because yeah. I I've seen packages and absolutely history and documentaries and things. So like in the back of my mind, I knew that was coming. So it was a surprise, but it wasn't a surprise in the same way. Because uh, who talks about Emma Johnson anymore? These three assholes. Also, I mean, it was mentioned on commentary, but and I'm sure we'll see it on the next show. But Owen Hart's now the Intercontinental Champion. That's right. Because yeah. they decided to take it off of off of Rocky. Wasn't yeah, I thought that was uh, cool and neat. I would have liked to see it happen uh, because we all love Owen here. But it makes sense with this heel faction. Yeah, it's like okay, well, they got to have. Something. So the Heart Foundation yeah. kind of has almost all the gold then, don't they? With the ICL. Yeah, world titles are the one they don't have. Yeah. Oh, Owen and Bulldog. Both Double have two belts. Yeah. So just, yeah. yeah. And then Owen's got his two slammies. Pretty cool. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Rick Rude was the WCW International World Heavyweight Champion for the past six months when he would head to Tokyo, Japan to face Hiroshi Ase during the Hyper Battle Tour on March 16, 1994. Ase, born 1961, represented Japan at the 1984 Summer Olympics in Greco-Roman wrestling before pursuing a professional career, training under Riki Choshu followed by excursions in Puerto Rico and in Stampede Wrestling in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. He would return to Japan, where Hiroshi would win the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship in 1987 and 1989, before graduating to 
to the heavyweight scene. Hiroshi Hase would team with Kenzuke Sasaki to win the IWGP Tag Team Championships in 1990 and 1991. He would then be involved in a classic encounter with the Great Muda, where due to the blood that was shed during the match, the Muda scale was created. However, that encounter would bring the two men close enough to team up and become tag team champions in late 91. Hase would then turn his attention to singles action by 93, where he would make the finals of the G1 Climax. For his accomplishments, Hiroshi would be inducted into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. After Hiroshi Hase defeated the Ravishing One to win the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship, Rick Rude would make sure he got his rematch by the end of the Hyper Battle Tour. We're all Hase fans here. And Rude. I mean, obviously. Obviously Rude as well. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, how often do we... If we see more than two Hase matches in a year, they typically make a short list. That's how we feel about him. Usually. Next week, Buffalo Invasion. Woo! Buffalo. Bills, bills, bills. So we're going to Philly, right? No. 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 We're going upstate, brother. Yeah. That's right. We're not we're 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 going to ECW, but we're not going to Philly. But ECW's going, going to Queens. Somewhere. Yeah. We're not going to Florida. I think we saw just one in Florida. Yeah, we saw one in Florida. Yeah. We're going to Buffalo. Buffalo seems like the perfect second home for ECW, more so than Queens. It's where Frankenstein ate thirty packets of ketchup. <laughs> Buffalo. <laughs> So music from this week's show is Massacre Version 1 by Jim Johnston. And Undertaker won our main event, so we play his music, Graveyard Symphony Version 2, also by Jim Johnston. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Come on. Don't be one of those guys. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, recipes, drink ideas, if if you've been to Buffalo, what did you eat in Buffalo besides <laughs> wings? Uh, where do you get your podcast at? If it's not from iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, I'm I'm curious. Talk to us. Slide into our DMs. Give us a shout out on the old X. I still hate that name, by the way. Yeah, it's not a social media site. It's just dumb. Why don't you just call it Twitter? Because everybody says X, formerly known as Twitter. Just make it simple, Elon. He doesn't know. Bring it back to Twitter. You don't have to have the birds. But yeah. We'll give you the birds. (laughs) We'll have old Earl Hebner give you two of them. From uh, from heaven to to Austin, Texas. (laughs) Two birds from Hebner. But yeah, give us a old shout-out on the, uh, the socials. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any of those things, you can always email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on X at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O. X. We'll talk to you next week. Later. Later.